0: For me, it's like I like seeing other people achieve things they didn't think was possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I like having people believe in things that are bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, when I look back at Own was a complete, you know, was, was a problem. You know, when I was running XM, it was a startup. And no one thought we ever could get people to pay for radio. And we did. <laughs> um, and when, when we built that company, it was the same way. And then all the radio stations and all the country stuff, they were all like... You can't go at 23 to move to Seattle and be this, you can't do it. And so a lot of my pathology in my life had been, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And what I realized was, I was proving something to myself, but then what I actually realized that the joy came from actually watching other people see things that they can't see. Having them believe in the fact that we could do this and believe in the fact that we were gonna do this. And then seeing that happen was like more fulfilling to me than anything else.
1: I believe that each and every one of us has the power within ourselves to create the life that we really want, and I want to help give you the tools to make that happen. I'm Danica Patrick, and I'm Pretty Intense. Today, we have the very inspirational Eric Logan on the podcast. He is the CEO of the World Surf League, formerly president of the OWN Network, and vice president of Harpo Studios when Oprah was in Chicago. The way he looks at business and life is so much beyond just sort of maybe the quintessential, like the way you'd think of a a CEO or a businessman being about like numbers and go, go, go. I mean, there's go and there's numbers, but before that, there's the mindset of what it is that you want to accomplish and then the true and utter belief needed to make it happen. Like there's a difference between wanting to do something, thinking about doing something and truly believing like down through your bones that something is going to happen and, and work and be successful. And so Eric is a great storyteller. He's totally open. He's really funny um, and, uh, and has taken on this really cool new job of being CEO of the World Surf League, which is such a transition. So I, of course, wanted to know all about how you go from being f- the president of OWN Network to running a surf league. So uh, we're going to hear today all about his, uh, what he would call, church. How did an Oklahoma boy fall in love with surfing? doesn't seem to go together. It
0: doesn't. You don't, it's not, it's not a poster you have in your house when you grow up of like, you know, you have basketball players. You don't have like surf people that's in there. Um, It's an interesting story. So when I moved to Los Angeles to run the network for Oprah, uh, I had moved to Manhattan Beach and lived in Manhattan Beach with my two daughters. And ultimately at a certain point, you just kind of cave to the whole environment that happens and so I get as a joke my a wetsuit as a joke now mind you grew up in Oklahoma had never properly learned how to swim (laughs) was afraid of the water afraid of the sharks afraid of everything that goes in there and so I got a wetsuit as a joke it's okay whatever so I put this wetsuit on and I wander out into the ocean and it was the most bizarre comforting and even you know powerful surrendering feeling I'd ever had in my life because you felt insulated and protected because you could feel the water, but it wasn't cold. And it was just like really sort of So no
1: board yet, just the suit. You're just just talking about the relationship with the suit and the feeling. Just
0: me and the relationship with the water. Wow. And and so then you look around and you see, okay, there's these people that are like on boards and boogie boards. So I'm like, okay, I got an idea. So I go buy a boogie board. Now, mind you, I'm 41 at the time. Okay, 41 years old. So most people who are boogie boarding are under the age of seven.
1: Yep, that's what I've seen.
0: (laughs) So I I, I say, this is going to be really interesting. So I go grab a boogie board, and all of a sudden, I'm having fun with a bunch of rando seven, eight-year-olds in Manhattan Beach. You can imagine the looks from the parents looking at this grown man now boogie boarding on the beach with all of these kids curiosity
1: yeah. and concern that's right they're googling my
0: name on like predator websites or <laughs> right. Shit. right and they're like really what you? so um so i look up i get back i go all right so i really need to try surfing so i take one surf lesson from a guy who i'm still a friend with and i still surf with to this day really his name is taylor hine yep
1: huh
0: it was just a random huh. thing on camp surf and camp surf what's that it's a it was just you dive type it surf lessons in google is the first thing that popped up and it was this little local surf company in in south bay here in california and he shows up by the way 15 minutes late right out of central casting sunglasses hat on backwards completely ripped six out six pack taps the whole thing so
1: he was california on time
0: a hundred percent i mean he did not think he was late whatsoever um so i took my first lesson Jumped up on a, he put me on a huge thing we call them barn doors. They're like gigantic boards that like anybody could stand up on. Caught my first wave. It literally changed my life. It was you felt, you know, it was like what was this feeling that I had? Got out of the water, drove to a surf uh, shop and bought my first board. And then, as we like to say, um, you know, as a fan of the Matrix, you follow the white rabbit, took the red pill, and down the rabbit hole I go. And, And then nowhere on the sort of vision board of my life did I ever think it would take me traveling the world, meeting all these people. And now I get to a place where I'm, you know, the CEO of the World Surf League. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. So
1: full circle.
0: So yeah, I don't even know where on the circle I'm at. If it's full or if I'm like halfway through, I don't even know where I'm at on the circle, but it's pretty interesting journey.
1: Time and space don't really matter. I mean, if you like the matrix, then you're probably into a little (laughs) esoteric thinking yourself. Um, what you you said it's the rat you know it's the it's the red pill what where did that go what happened next
0: so what happened to me on my journey into the ocean was more of a spiritual transformation for my life Mm. and what was so interesting for me was that you know prior to that point in time for the past four years before that i was you know the president of harpo so i was running the oprah winfrey show for oprah we were syndicating the show uh, we had started the cable network it um, owned out here in Los Angeles, but I was still living in Chicago with the studio, and we hadn't really shut down the company yet. We were shutting down Harpo, so May twenty fifth, two thousand eleven, we did it. So I've been around, obviously at, I would consider one of the highest levels in terms of like enlightenment, spirituality, and just being in her presence. It's like I don't know. I mean, if there's a higher vibration. I mean, there.
1: Super Soul Sunday sort of really opened me up.
0: It was a beautiful. It's a it's a beautiful thing, and. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, it was like, okay, I'm running the company, I understand it, I'm around it, I see all the people in the sphere. It connected with me, but it never really like moved me like it moves most people. And what was interesting was, is I started finding all these lessons that was happening to me in the ocean and I was making, I was connecting these dots. I was having all these aha moments. It'd be like, I'm stuck on the inside, getting pummeled. And you learn about surrender, stop fighting the ocean and go on all these things. And so there was, there was one conversation in particular where, when I came back from a trip, I had this really scary moment, you know, on, on a reef in Fiji and I was telling Oprah about it. And she literally was just smiling, and I talked for like 20 minutes, and she said, you have found your spiritual calling. And And so all of our conversations about surfing were about the linkages, about the metaphors of ocean, Mm. tides, currents, life, love, everything.
1: analogy for life.
0: And it just and from that it it opened me up in a way that I'd never been opened up before. And here I was sitting next to her for many many years, but surfing was the thing that I never knew I wanted to do. <laughs> it was a passion I never knew I thought I'd have. <laughs> and it boom it clicked everywhere. Mm-hmm. So much so there's a great there's a fun there's a fun little anecdotal story about that that every morning no matter what the conditions were, I get up at dawn, I drive to the beach and I'm in the ocean as soon as it's like this morning, as soon as it lights up I'm out on the water. So there was a conference call one morning that she had called. She was back east and it was like seven or eight here or whatever it was. And, and Oprah would always refer to the ocean when I go out as my church. She'd be like, that is your sanctuary. So there's a call. And I think we were on with like the presidents of all these other people. There's all these... Of the United months. States. So whatever. <laughs> she's on... But the, that's a funny story too. But there, there's... <laughs> okay. You know, there's, she was on this call and, and, and uh, I think my COO was on the call. And I get out and my phone is like blown up. It's like, where are you? Da da da. Sure. You know, Oprah's looking for you. Yeah. And then, and all of a sudden they're like, yeah, she goes, don't worry about it. I just told him you were at church. You'd be out at 8 And she just knew, and she just knew not to call me. And still to this day, every so often, she'll just send me a nice little text, how's church this morning? And I'll be like, it's beautiful. And uh, it turned out to be a gorgeous thing. So that was, uh, that's how the fusion of this. Thing, and I talk about it a lot. It's like, you just never know what is the one thing that just opens you up and lights you up. And it lit me up.
1: Did you feel like you had to make some changes as you started surfing? Was there like some epiphanies, some sort of like, um, did it jar your life in any way as you sort of, per- sort of went to church regularly?
0: Well, it depends, because church service takes on many forms. Sometimes it's really big, <laughs> uh, it can scare you. Um, you know, it, it, it actually changed me in a way that it reminds me that there are things in life that are much bigger than you. You know, I, the single biggest thing I say to myself about the ocean is that it reminds me that there are things beyond yourself. We are just a small piece of a much larger mosaic of life. And when you sit out into an ocean and forget that there's a wave, it is ve- you feel very small, and it it, and it grounds you. And so, to me, it's a grounding mechanism. You know, in my busy life, it it is how I connect with myself, and it's how I always stay centered and grounded. So that, to me, is the reoccurring thing that that comes to me. Um, my frustration, my my desire, my my work, everything comes intersects into that place. And a good day and a bad day. So you know. You can't actually dictate to the ocean what you'd want to do. As a driver in your career, you know, you were in control of a car. You know, the track wasn't moving. You you know, if you missed your mark, that that's on you. Mm-hmm. With a wave, the wave's going to do what the wave's going to do. So you are purely having to surrender and get into a flow state mm-hmm. if you want to do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I think that that metaphor... Through life and business is just such a good one to keep in mind, and so surfing for me helps remind me of that.
1: What has um, been the hardest thing that you've had to just surrender to in that lesson? My ego. That's a lot of work.
0: Yeah, and and it's it's an hourly struggle. Sometimes minute struggle. It's hard. Um, And so the thing for me is trusting the universe and trusting you know flow and and learning that things are you know things that are happening to you are always happening for you somebody we both know says that um and it's a hard lesson to learn and i think that you know, I try to find things in my life that can always reaffirm that in my business life, in my personal life with my daughters, um, and certainly when I have a spare time to go for a pa- I, I only have to be in the ocean for five or ten minutes. I don't need to be out there all day. I just need to be out there, and it just reconnects me, and it regrounds me, and I'm good.
1: It's like your meditation, too. Yeah, it's a thousand percent. So your church percent. or your meditation. It's sort of grounding. It's resetting. Yeah. It's It can take on whatever modality to achieve it that you want Um, that you want being from Oklahoma seems pretty classic Christian is that the upbringing you had
0: so I interestingly I was raised more Protestant Okay. Um, I was very lost had a very interesting troubled childhood with my parents do tell Um, sixth grade friend of mine took me to Catholic mass for the first time okay And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the Catholic church. And so I just stopped going to a Protestant church and started going to a Catholic church. And I realized later that it was the structure of Catholicism that I loved. So I hustled, I got confirmed, I did everything and I converted to become a Catholic. And so I did that through sixth grade, through high school, through a little bit of college, started working. And then I just sort of wandered off. And I would say, you know, today, you know, I, I believe in higher callings. I believe in higher sp- spirituality. I believe in higher connection. But I'm not a practicing you know, Catholic today. Um, but I wasn't really raised with the more like very rigid dogmatic view that some people would think. I mean, Oklahoma has got an identity crisis as a state. Like, <laughs> does it? Yeah, well, you're not the South. You're not the North.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah. So it's not the
0: Midwest. I mean, you're a Midwest girl. I
1: am. Yeah. And do you, what do you, con- so what do you consider it? Or does it just uh, sort of like, is it a swing vote? You know, you just, it's kinda- a swing
0: vote. <laughs> so if you, if, if, if you and I were out at a dinner and you were saying you're from the Midwest, I would say I'm from the Midwest too. And I would declare Oklahoma in the Midwest. If I'm out with somebody else and they're like, they're from Alabama and they're from the South, I'm like, hey, we're the South too. What? So we're very utopian that way.
1: Wow. They refer to it as the... Switzerland. Totally,
0: 100%. Us Okies are a funny breed.
1: What, uh, I mean, especially being exposed to Oprah for so long, and what were some of those things, you know, what were some gems that you learned? From her? Yeah.
0: So the thing that I... One of the single biggest lessons that I've taken from her that I use today at the World Surf League um, is the value of intention. And she talks often about... Making sure that every conversation, every situation you do, every show had an intention, and so much so, like every, I mean, decade I worked for, and picks up the phone, it would be, what's the intention of this call? What's Really, one hundred percent. And if you don't understand what is actually meant by the statement or question, it can be very off-putting. Yeah, you know, people would be like if I, you know, imagine me just roll up and be, hey, what's the intention of this interview? You'd be like, excuse me, versus, yeah, I can see that. Versus it's sort of like, I just want to make sure we're aligned so I can hear you the right way. And, and oftentimes in life and in business that I have found is like, you've been a part of these conversations we all have where like 20 minutes into a meeting, you have this like thought bubble, like, what is happening? Why am I talking to you? How, who who are you? I mean, you may have that moment here shortly. Possibly. I was thinking you yeah. might have that yeah. moment. <laughs> like,
1: she knows nothing about surfing. No, huh? no,
0: you know more than you think. But <laughs> but I think but the lesson of that is like always returning to the intention, and then, you know, you have certainly with the network we went through a, a very well documented phase of struggle, and in order to turn the network around with her name on the door, everything that we did, we had to look back and we started with the question of like what was the intention of that show Mm. what was the intention of this and then what we do because then you have results or whatever it is you're able to look and understand it along the way so that connects to this other piece where we used to always talking about what what are the lessons that you get you know the lessons along the way and um you know the world comes to us in a series of lessons they're small and they get louder then they get bigger because
1: you're not listening because you're not listening
0: (laughs) and so if you understand intention And then you see the lessons along the way and once you get those lessons they stop happening Mm. and so that sort of meant so that is a lot of the conversations that we'd have you know it's not like you know we're not i'm not whipping out a p and l and being like all right here's where we are in the sub fees and here's the ad revenue and the cpms and the cash flows she certainly is into that but we spent a lot of time she and i and a lot of time with our creative team focusing on these sort of spaces which you know, honestly, Danica like changed changed me how I run companies.
1: i I've been running companies most of my
0: life. It changed forever how I run it, and I run the World Surf League the same way.
1: I want to get back to the ego.
0: Go ahead, let's do it.
1: I just think it's a thing. I think it's a it's a, especially with men, mm-hmm. but it just comes off in a more masculine way. It's just yeah. a little more aggressive at times. It's a little more, a little less encouraged to get in touch with your feelings. Yeah. Um. Oh, that. Have you ever cried out there in the ocean? Do you cry Mm -hmm. ever
0: Mm -hmm. cry a lot actually really yeah yeah
1: thank you for admitting that yeah um but i just think i don't know it maybe you can tell me your perspective but on sort of where we're at as a culture and the world right now but i feel like dissolving the ego is of the utmost importance Mm. in what's going on in the world Mm. how do you feel about all that
0: well I think at the end, first of all, everybody has to acknowledge that you have one.
1: Or a healthy ego. Maybe should be like a yeah, little well, caveat here. A healthy healthy relationship with ego.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's the second part. I think the first part is that there are people who I've come across, I'm sure you have too. It's like, I don't have an ego. And it's like, okay, don't you understand by virtue of the fact of the statement you do? <laughs> um, and, and understanding hearing your ego speak to me has been one that, you know, this for me, has been the hardest lesson for me to get. Because oftentimes when you're either thrust in the media or you're built up on a pedestal or you're told that you are something, you A, believe it, and then you perpetuate the story yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you use that as your own self-validation. And then you, as a person, use that as a way to justify things, either good behaviors or bad behaviors that you want to do. And so that is how, at times, it manifests itself inside of me. I think for all of us to be able to understand how your ego manifests inside of yourself can dramatically Mm. change how the world sees you, and 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 I think that we have a lot of factors. I've got teenage daughters, so I see this like playing out in front of my eyes on the weeks that I have my girls. I I see them. It's it's all about appearance and the social media and how it looks and all these sort of things. And, and again, the way I interpret that, that's all about feeding the ego monster because it's all about that self-validation of how many likes do you have and you have this. And, and of course it feels good. Of course it feels great. But it feels great to who? To me, I interpret that it feels good to my ego. And it's sort of like, ah, great article. Ah, that feels good. I think that there is a, a very real issue in terms of people coming to terms with that the way is being represented you know in terms of the world today um it's hard and i don't have an answer for it because i'm struggling with it with my daughters uh who are very much into this yeah. this world and i see it i see it from an interesting point of view with with, with teenage girls and so Part of the reason why I cry, cry a lot too. They keep me very humble. Oh I think <laughs> I made my dad cry a lot
1: too. Um, uh, yeah, maybe you can give me some tips oh, I, before I we're done. Know. I don't know. <laughs> you, you have to go through the shit. At the end of the day, I mean lessons have to be learned the hard way yeah. the hard way sometimes, a lot of times. Um, is there a check-in? Is there a certain like is there certain things that you've learned that help you to know when you're sort of more in that ego space versus not?
0: It comes right. to me when something happens like, damn, why'd that happen? You know, it, so I drop a glass. Okay. Um, you know, my daughter barks at me, which I've, I've learned not to make that about the ego because that's what 15 and 16 looks like. So put that aside. Um, car almost pulls, you almost, you, sometimes I have these like either I hit my head, I stub my toe. It's things like that. I can't find my car keys. things like that it's like i i take it i look at those moments and it's a trigger for me and it's very hard and i'm not very good at it but i I try to be like let's check in with myself what's going on just shut everything down just stop and go okay what's happening why'd that happen um you know sometimes I, i look at it this way it's like i'm late i'm running late i gotta get someplace and then you get going and maybe there's a car accident that happened four blocks in front of you And the universe actually did that to you on purpose to protect you that's the way i look at these things i thought
1: it was double punishment you're late and they made a car accident there (laughs) so they're like are we driving this home enough that you need to be on time
0: (laughs) or you can look at it um from a point of view that you know it it is actually working to your benefit the universe is working to your benefit check in with yourself and so it it's hard and and i sometimes I, i try to be very aware that when I get into the place where I feel like I'm elevated and my energy is like very, very high and I'm vibrating very high and I'm Mm -hmm. talking very fast and Mm -hmm. I'm just going and going and going and and
1: I'm really... A little frantic. And you're like,
0: okay, check in with yourself. Slow down. Why is that happening? Um, That's to me how the ego starts to build itself up around myself.
1: What's the uh, loudest, most difficult lesson that the universe has sent you?
0: Ooh. Probably losing both my parents and um and there's so many unresolved issues you know with both of my parents from oklahoma for a variety of reasons which you know we don't need to do a legacy series of your podcast you only have an hour Um,
1: all of our issues come from childhood yeah
0: they all come from childhood
1: so (laughs) and
0: and and it was like i'd always would put off the hard conversations i'd always put off the forgiveness conversations i would always put off with my mm. you know i never i'd always put them off you know and just to keep
1: the peace just to
0: yeah and it was just like it, it is always it's like you can find a hundred reasons not to do one thing i can come up with a million reasons why i don't want to call somebody i can come up uh, and it's like all right my mom is my mom's in oklahoma my dad's here they're divorced i've got to. Uh, I got to call somebody. I got to do something. I don't have time to go back. I mean, it, there's always... Oprah needs me. <laughs> Oprah needs me. You know, there's <laughs> the waves are pumping. You know, there's...
1: Right. There's always, Ocean needs me.
0: Ocean needs me. Danica needs can't me. Can't be late for church. Yeah, I can't be so late for 6:47
1: church. It's 6.47 this morning.
0: I, and so, it it losing my mother first actually helped me start to address issues with my dad. Then my dad died shortly thereafter, coincidentally. Oh. I mean, they had been divorced. And 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 my brother and I both had this conversation. It was just like, okay, and he and I started talking more, you know, which hadn't really sort of happened. And so, so I would say that it, it is it was don't put off the hard conversations. Have the hard conversations. You know, do the work. Have the hard work. um And that's a very personal one for me. And you know, there's a hundred business ones. I'm sure I could come up with if I thought about it. But I, I just the first thing that pops to mind. No, when you ask I, the I,
1: obviously. About, I mean, I. I only just met you, but I get the sense that the work all stems from the spiritual element. It all stems from heart space. It all stems from intention. It all stems from a deeper place than P&Ls and making money. And that just happens naturally. It's a byproduct. Exactly. How did that, though, transfer into work? So I think that you said, obviously, you learned the lesson from your parents passing, but that means that you learned a lesson. And that doesn't stop at just... Well, my next set of parents i'm gonna treat you know what i mean like it goes somewhere <laughs> yeah um probably everywhere it goes
0: everywhere i mean i think it gives you you know for me it, it really i was already i was already because they both had been diagnosed so i knew that they were going to get sick and i could you could that, that the realization of yeah. that, that that journey is happening of hospice and things of that nature you're like mm-hmm. okay i gotta start getting my mind around that mm-hmm. um but look i mean i think age plays a big part of it too you know, I mean, you know, ego when you're twenty, <laughs> ego when you're thirty, then when you get into forty, it takes on different coats. It it changes. It's not the same. It means different things at different points in your life. And um, I would say that the intersection of my personal life and my professional life, spe- especially when my first daughter was born, became one and the same, and actually was different prior to that. I mean, I've been working professionally since I was fifteen. You know, flunked out of college, barely graduated high school, worked all through my life, and so my, and my. Then
1: you were a DJ for a while.
0: Yeah, and I was, and so that's all I knew.
1: Chuck the duck. Chucker. Chucker.
0: Chuck. Chuck the duck. Yeah. <laughs> that's when I met Scott, by the way. When I was a mascot, <laughs> FYI, our friend, mutual we both friend. Both love country music. We yeah. can talk about. Oh, that. we can. Well, that'll be. We can do that in a minute. <laughs> but it was. It was so wrapped up in my identity of like who I was and what I did, and and my ego would be like. You have to portray yourself as something that you're not you know and it was like i was a very insecure you know not successful student you know was terrible at sports and athletics but yet oh I'm a, I'm a dj i'm on the television now you know i'm i changed my last name so logan's not like my real last name i created this whole persona of a person that i wanted to be that's not who i really was as a kid and at a certain point those two parallel lines of your personal life and your professional life ultimately fuse together. And you actually become a more deeper, loving, open person when you actually see the symbiotic nature of both of them becoming one. That was the struggle for most of my 30s. And it wasn't really until I had my second daughter and then I hit my 40s that I really realized it came together. And maybe some help with Oprah, who knows.
1: I feel like we're seeing this shift in society. I, I, I it makes me really think about uh, the face of television. Yeah. Like when you look at something like what Oprah has done, and that you helped her create, helped fulfill her vision, be part of that. Um, you know, that sort of a network changes mm-hmm. the landscape of content. Mm-hmm. Did you guys feel like that?
0: There was many times we didn't. You know, know, we started the network when we launched it in 2011, on January 1st, with the idea that we were going to take the fundamental pieces of what made the Oprah show successful and do that as a cable network.
1: Makes sense. Seems like a good idea.
0: (laughs) Um, And what we realized was that we did not appropriately think about the audience that was sitting there for pay cable. Because she had a platform at that point in time for 24 years on free broadcast air. And she always was on at four o'clock everywhere in the country, except for one market, by the way.
1: Oh, Arizona? <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> no, 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 Chicago.
0: Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. She, huh. she, uh, she was on in the morning. Chicago mm-hmm. was the only market in America that the Oprah show was not on at four o'clock. <laughs> and it was because that's where she got, her, that's when it first started when she was on WLS. Mm-hmm. And she did not want those viewers to have to move. So that was, when we would do all the syndication deals, it was like, da-da-da, yep, but Chicago to 11. Uh, just a more little cocktail trivia. Mm, um, How fun. But when we started the network, we we thought a lot about, from an intentional point of view, we take the elements of the show, but it didn't connect with the audience, didn't connect with the viewers. Um, and Which was
1: what? Like, if you were to say, like, we really focused on these things.
0: Health, wellness. That up.
1: didn't register?
0: And here's why. The the landscape of cable network and really is different than broadcast. And get the core word, broadcast, broad. So if you watch ABC from top to bottom, you know it's everything from Good Morning America to soap operas to talk shows to drama. It's this broad. Right. If you think about cable networks, they're very, very narrow. (sighs) So the analogy I used when I was running the network was, look, broadcasts are a mile wide and a foot deep. Successful cable networks are an inch wide and five miles deep cnn boom cnbc yeah. boom so what we were trying to do with the beginning parts of the network
1: was your job
0: <laughs> was we're supposed to be broad so we narrowed it down and we focused on really trying to fulfill a void that we identified that what what cable and what certainly the united states hadn't seen are powerful images of african-american women portrayed and in, in, in the appropriate way and um you know, we would always say that, you know, images matter and she would drill that into our head. And so we always had to make sure we were putting the aspirational and the proper images and having the real conversations that were happening. And the show that sort of broke it through for us was a show called um, Welcome to Sweetie Pies, which hit in the fall of 2011. Um, and we, and it, we bought it from a friend, uh, that I still friend with today again, Craig Puligian, uh, Pilgrim. And the show was fundamentally about, this woman, her name was Miss Robbie. She owned a soul food restaurant in St. Louis, Missouri. It's great. Right up our alley. You and I would love it, by the way. <laughs> there many times. Um, and she had a son. She was a backup singer for Ike and Tina Turner, by the way. She had a <laughs> like son life. who, fatherless son, father left. Huge issue in the African-American community about right. boys who don't right. have fathers. Was imprisoned. And she's trying to start a business. And so we did a reality show about this dynamic and it exploded on the network and the intention of it was that we were going to put forth great imagery but what we learned upon intention and the lessons we learned good and bad Mm -hmm. was that we needed to have this conversation with the community Mm. and so we started having these conversations and then the next show was Ian Van Zandt and it was about Ian Van Zandt having these conversations with men and men and so what happened was as we sort of found our footing and then we were able to develop against it now I look at the job that the network's done you know over the past two years it's tremendous i mean they've got this amazing own your vote campaign and tina perry who's the president of the network now has done a miraculous job they've got great dating shows and and they've created this beautiful very narrow but extraordinarily deep niche and that's why the network's
1: successful is this the model used by would you say all cable well like i mean or does does anybody else like Yeah, I mean, I just, I'd never heard it described like that. Um, But I guess I look at it like, hmm, there's no health and, I mean, like, where's the health and wellness otherwise?
0: Yeah, it's sort of spread, you know, depending upon where it goes. Like, if you go to, like, a food network, you know, it's sort of a through line through there, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So, like, for example, we were part of the Discovery Network. HGTV has a lot of wellness things that are in there in that way. And a lot of the audiences that are really focused on wellness will go find mm. it now in the digital world. They'll find it through whether it's their Peloton or their SoulCycle bike sure. or wherever it may be. Um, you know, cable is very challenged today with what's going on with cord cutting. It's very, very challenged.
1: I'm super curious what your thoughts are and where TV's going.
0: Oh, yeah, but I've got it. yeah. Well,
1: I mean, I know you're surfing these days, but there's also ROI that and like there's. How do you make money in surfing? So yeah. television might be a part of that, but it is.
0: It totally is. The, the cable landscape is such that you have more and more choice. And, you know, when I was running own, we could see the oncoming of, you know, the, what we'd call the streamers. Netflix was coming at scale. Hulu was getting at scale. Disney Plus hadn't launched yet. But you wake up today, you think about all the choices that you've got. It's, it's everywhere. And, and so the, the there has been a debundling. Of content for the consumers so the consumers have demanded choice so Danica has said I want to choose what I want to watch I don't want to pay you large cable company a lot of money for 700 channels I want this I want that so that's what has happened and so that creates pressure to the established guard the old cable networks Mm -hmm. creates opportunity for the new guards which are the streamers and if you're a content creator like we are or even like how she is Oprah it provides opportunity for you to tell very focused niche stories in a way that is good for your business. So in our, in our case, for the World Surf League, we have a television show that we will, that will premiere next year on ABC. That's a reality-based competition show with seven men and seven women shot at our surf ranch facility, which I'm inviting you to, by the way, in Thank Humor, you. California.
1: I would love to learn how to surf
0: that Let's go. You and I will be there before you know it. That's why I asked <laughs> when you were leaving. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: next trip getting planned.
0: Next trip getting planned. Um, but, it, you know, what, what they'll do is a compete for a, a spot on our world tour. Then we have documentaries about people like Kelly Slater that we're taking out. We have um, other shows that we're creating about our sport and about surfing. And I can now take advantage of this debundling and actually put our sport intentionally with content telling the stories where I want to tell them. All of that anchors back strategically to the fact that we have a world tour and we put on a professional sport.
1: So is it going on? cable or is it going on a streamer? So, or so you're able to sprinkle it like- well it
0: depends on the show it's like ultimate surfers on abc so ultimate surfers yeah. going on the broadcast here yep. in the united states Yep. yep. Um, the documentaries will be depending upon what we did a, for example we did a great uh, documentary 247 that hbo series uh, with kelly mm-hmm. uh, we did that when he was going into Eva, the triple crown in hawaii last year mm-hmm. actually won three Emmys for kelly that's good for him it's good to be the king. Cool. Good to be Kelly Slater. He's pretty
1: versatile. Like he's, pre-
0: he's pretty versatile. Yeah. Um, but, it would, but I think that the content landscape allows that, even in the audio space for like yourself with, with yeah. pods, yeah. video pods, and everything that's happening, yeah. it's really about from an intention point of view, how do you want to convey your message and how more focused you get? Actually, you can create more skill for yourself in that way. So when I think about content strategy, I think about what do you want to say and where do you want to put it?
1: Are they all going to live?
0: Probably not. I think that
1: who's dying first.
0: Well, I'm not going to give away my stock tips yet, but (laughs) it's cable. (laughs) Oh, cable, cable. Yeah, I I mean, I I I thought you were talking about streamers. Yeah,
1: that too. But I, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I think you're
0: going to see a contraction for sure of a lot of these cable networks. You're already starting to see them start contracting down to a place where. That just you can't afford to run them
1: mm-hmm.
0: because, you know, they're they, to a large part, they're subsidized by subscribers. Right. So if the subscribers for your a cable provider are trending down, there's not the revenue coming right. back in for the cable network. So right. that would happen. And then that's why you see all of these other things. There's, I mean, think about it. Do you know what Pluto is? Have you heard of Pluto? Have you heard of Philo? It's not
1: even a planet anymore. What no, do you mean? it's an
0: app on your Apple TV that you can watch free television on. Really? Yes. All of these things are popping up to give consumers more choice, which just puts more pressure on the old establishment card. Um, and, and, and again, to survive sort of this great unbundling of, of what's happening, you have to actually focus on the consumer. You gotta think about it from your choice. It's like, okay, consumer has choice. Where are they gonna go? And then what's your value proposition to the consumer?
1: So it's a better time than ever for a consumer.
0: A, a million percent. It's the best time to be a consumer if you love content because they're all vying for your eyeballs
1: what do you watch what do I watch what's what what, what uh, platforms do you use to so watch things I, and what I'm like I'm like
0: the worst person to ask the question because I have all of them <laughs> I just finished Naturally. A, I finished a great one uh, on HBO max called um, raised by wolves it's a it's a real it's a sci-fi crazy one Ridley Scott did it it's mm. really really good um, and I'm starting, starting JJ Abrams new one on HBO Max probably this weekend. Um, and then what's actually been more fun for me, honestly, has been that fr- I'm now into season six from four years ago of Dance Moms because my daughters <laughs> have discovered <laughs> Dance Moms. I've, I now realize where Jojo Siwa came from. I love the honesty. <laughs> I love
1: it. I love it.
0: Yeah. So, so that's last night it was Dance Moms for a while.
1: So do you watch a lot of TV?
0: Not as much as you'd think. Yeah. Um, oh, I, do
1: you feel like you have to say you watch a lot of TV?
0: I feel like there are a lot of people. You have to say that. You could, do you watch a lot of content? I'm like, no, I really don't. I like to read.
1: Because uh, I don't watch. I don't. Yeah. I don't watch the news anymore. I don't. Really, I watch YouTube videos. That's my most common thing. Yeah. That I. It's actually my morning news. The I morning. stopped watching the news and I started like listening to like Abraham Hicks like mm-hmm. videos and yep. Wayne Dyer and yep. you know all that. I yep. Super Soul Sunday yep. like, uh, God, the amount of Super Soul Sunday shorts that I've cried to. <laughs> letter from ones. the Dog. But, God. Yeah um stop it yeah Yeah. uh but yeah that's my news so i don't i don't i don't but i would imagine you feel like you have to say you watch a lot of tv
0: i do a lot of people will always ask me that a lot of people will be like what do you watch and what have you watched recently so i i don't force myself to watch anything
1: why would are you would you say that you watch less than you used to for sure why for sure um when it's a better time than ever
0: because for me i don't need to I don't feel like I'm obligated to and
1: mm, so you never wanted to maybe then yeah before? I mean
0: I, it was like work for me okay it was like I had to watch like that okay. show or this show so for me for me it's more of like hey if that speaks to me I want to get invested in it. Got it if it doesn't speak to me yeah. I don't want to get invested now there are a lot of stuff that like for our studio we have at the world surfly we have a studio that makes a lot of content I watch a lot of that because I need to note it or edit it or like the notes for some of our shows, I'll do that. So, But that to me is work. That doesn't sort of count. I think you're, the question is more, I think, discretionary. It's like if I have yeah. an hour, I'm on the couch, what am I doing? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what do you normally do then?
0: So I like to read. I attempt at least four or five conversations with my daughters. Uh, that gets, you know.
1: How many actually go on to being a conversation?
0: uh, Not many. It (laughs) it flies in and out based upon this. And and sometimes, believe it or not, it's like, well, first of all, I've been banned from TikTok. I'm not allowed to have TikTok.
1: Yeah, you're too, sorry, you're too old for TikTok. Too old for TikTok. But a lot of times, (laughs) I'm too old for TikTok.
0: They'll throw it up, they'll throw it up and I'll just sit and watch them and I'll just like voyeuristically see what they're watching on TikTok. And it's sort of like, I honestly get plugged into a really important part of the culture it's like you know and 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 this gender and it's and i I looked at it now i flipped it i used to be annoyed by it like you know phones down at dinner and you talk to me and i want to hear about your day versus no, no no i need to flip it because Hmm. it would be better for me to lean into that and be part of it hear about it have them open up more and then what happens as a part of that is that a, you get more of a connection with them, which I have. And then B, I'm actually like looking at it going, Oh, okay. surfing's a very young sport anyway. I mean, a lot of some of our, some of our upcoming professional surfers, are the same age as my daughter. And it's like, they're doing the same thing. And it's like, ah, now it's a little bit. I look at it a little bit like market research.
1: I was going to say insight is
0: insight. Totally. And it's funny. Like our mutual friend Scott, you know, Borchetta, yeah. who runs Big Machine, um, often is godfather of my oldest daughter. Oh, really? He will call out of the blue and say, okay what are the girls listening to and because they'd be they'll find stuff on tiktok at the time musically or youtube and he would just call randomly just ask them what they're listening to and and again when he was starting to do that it's sort of like oh because scott's much smarter than i am i'm like oh okay i see what he's doing you're
1: very nice
0: i see i see what he's doing
1: you both have accomplished a tremendous amount he's a good
0: he's a good he's a good egg
1: Huh. What kind of books do you like to read?
0: Business books. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not a novelist. You
1: like learning. So either you're watching TV to learn for work or you're yeah. reading to learn.
0: I love to learn. Yeah. So
1: business books, not not spiritual or not...
0: Uh... I have a couple that I have spiritual. But my favorite spiritual book is um, Mark Nepo's. I haven't even heard of that. Uh, so Mark Nepo. Uh, and um, what he does is he has 365 um, passages each day. You read a different passage. So you start the book for a year and there's short passages and yeah. they're very intention laden. Uh, I'll get you a copy. It's, it's That's a good nice. one. And he was on, he was on a super soul Sunday. Yeah. You can go find it. Um, that was one of the best ones. And then I've done, I've read a couple of Eckhart's books, mm-hmm. you know, which, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to talk to a PhD and ego, he's the guy to talk to. for sure. My
1: favorite thing is listening to him giggle.
0: He's first. I don't out. know
1: what you think about that, but it's like this whole, like, <laughs> you guys just don't get it. Yep. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yep. yep. That's Eckhart.
1: <laughs> and it really is so soothing this voice it goes like this
0: they talk about the ego, <laughs> and danica the ego, come at you like this you know he has a very his it, it it almost puts me to sleep when he talks yeah yeah i tried listening to an audiobook and i like four minutes into it i was like zonked out
1: so. it's those nights where you there's the sleepless sleepless nights where you can't get to sleep or you can't 100%. stay asleep and just put that on totally. i've actually done that with wayne dyer yep Wayne's there's been good. some like you know life crap that's gone on and you're like i'm like i just can't sleep right now and i'll put a wayne dyer something wayne dyer on and i love his voice too yep. it's not quite as uh it's not soothing not quite as soothing <laughs> as that but it's a little more content and yeah. i keep thinking maybe i'm getting some subconscious yes. mental soap
0: speaking to your soul right directly into it you just don't yeah. yeah yeah
1: he's he's a,
0: he's he does that but no, i'll do those and then uh, the business book. So I just finished read um, uh, Reed's book from Netflix, who's the CEO of Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting book about culture because they have one of the most interesting cultures that's out there. Netflix does. Um, Reed hmm. Hastings is his name. And it's called... When no, you say
1: culture, co- like... Business culture. Oh, okay. You know, about
0: how they run the company. They, they, don't, they don't have expense reports. They do things like keeper tests. They pay people. It's a very dog-eat-dog culture. And he talks about why he approaches it that way. And huh. an interesting point of view, what he did was... Which I loved about this approach of the book was, he said to this woman, her name was Erin, I can't remember her last name. She was a Harvard PhD. She wrote the uh, book on culture, but he's a big fan of hers. And he said, "Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to write a book, and then I want you." He gave this woman free access to talk to any employee she wanted to at Netflix to, to find out if what he was saying about what he thought the culture was was actually true. And so he would make a point about like the keeper test or something, and. Aaron would then have all these different counterpoints based upon what the employees were actually saying so it's just very it it was such a wonderful was it in sync it was it was very much in sync and it was um it was very transparent and what I really appreciated about it was it was like I mean the you talk about surrendering of the ego it's like here's a CEO of a massively huge company like hey I'm going to tell you what it is go talk to anybody you want to um, it was it's re- it was really powerful. So wow. So I, th- books like that, or, or mm. biographies mm. like you know Walter Isaacson writes about Steve Jobs. I like stuff like that. So
1: why did you take the job with World Surf League? Why? Mm. What? Why?
0: Great question. Perfect question. Um, so at the time, a couple of things were going on at own. So we had turned the network around. It was a an amazing turnaround, literally from you know death's doornail. I mean, it, the network was losing a lot of money. Um, Oprah was being drugged through the press in in an amazingly terrible way. So that that was 2012, we turned it around in 13, became profitable, had a lot of success with Greenleaf and some of our other shows. And then I was at the end of a deal of my contract and Oprah had, I had just done uh, a deal with her and she started doing her Apple conversation. So the Apple conversation started happening and she was expanding beyond where the cable network was. And we were in this really interesting time, back to the conversation about consumer choice and cable and the pressures. And the platform was only going to be able to grow to a certain point. And the platform wasn't going to be able to grow much beyond where it was. Mm. And so she was looking for other ways. And that's why what she was doing with Weight Watchers and like with the tour and these platforms. And she's always looking for new places to innovate how to put her message out. (laughs) That's what she did with The Oprah Show. (laughs) That's what she did with OWN. That's what she Mm. did with O Magazine and and we were at this place and my job was was at the time the cable network and i had to fall in love with surfing and i loved surfing and there was an interesting opportunity she introduced me to the owner of the world surf league sort of on this like a blind date kind of thing like you should meet this guy it's the
1: universe
0: it it was and i didn't know who it was she goes i'm on a boat with a guy that We were talking surfing. I go, you got to talk to my president, CEO. It's t- all he does is talk about surfing. But I'm like, okay, cool. So I'm emailing this guy. I have no idea who it is. Okay. Like, what board do you like? You know, this, that. Da, da, da. And and I'm like, who, the f- who is this guy? Yeah. I have no idea. And I said, well, what are you doing surfing? I had no clue. He goes, well, I own the World Surf League. And then I called Oprah, and, I, and she goes, I told you it was a good hookup. I'm like, holy cow. So Dirk and I develop a relationship, and one thing led to another, and he said, hey, we're thinking about starting a studio and the time felt right. We had turned the network around. I said, this would be fun. I would be able to just focus on content. Not that I was going to retire, but it was sort of like, this would be a fun challenge to build a studio around surfing, leverage everything I've learned in TV and just do it around surfing, my passion. And so, you know, um, I walked into her office one afternoon and she was there and, uh, said, you have a minute oh yeah and so we shut the door and we had this little joke it's like oh it's a door closer I go it's a door closer
1: and it's only gonna take a minute it's
0: gonna close the door and I sat down and I said uh it's time and she had no idea what I was saying and she goes it's time I go it's time she goes it's time and I told her
1: did she get it when she said it's yeah, time okay got yeah, it yeah. it she took her the second okay she got it
0: and uh and she smiled and she was she was she lit up and she's like, this is a beautiful moment for you. Aww. Yeah, it was great. It was exactly what you would imagine her to say. Yeah. And then she walked around the desk, gave me a big hug, and she said, she goes, it's divine. This is what the way it's supposed to be. And- um, So glad
1: here Oprah's is great
0: as you know. <laughs> no, I mean, she is Danica, she really is. And then I'm yeah. there for a year, and then a year after that, I'm now the CEO.
1: So then it leads me to kind of what I'm, what I'm curious about, and it's what you think your purpose is.
0: Mm. What do i think my purpose is i think it's evolved you know i think my purpose and and i'll give you a a couple of different answers and they probably intersect um i love trying to find ways to bring out the best in other people i i I try to be a very selfless person um i try to focus a lot on my daughters because you know i they're they're out the door in three years and you know the time with them is shrinking and you know I meant to sound they like
1: come back I <laughs> promise. I went and lived with my parents this summer for three months <laughs> they come back
0: yeah well it's one, but you're off the payroll I, I, I'm oh, more, yeah, I, yeah. you're definitely off the, you're definitely off the payroll right <laughs> um, but you know so I think it's you know from that perspective so for me it's like I like seeing other people achieve things they didn't think was possible mm-hmm. um, I like I like having people believe in things that are bigger than themselves Mm -hmm. you know and i look back at uh, when i reflect back take surfing out of it but all the surfing where the wsl is is actually a very interesting inflection point it's the same way but own was a complete you know was was a problem you know when i was running xm it was a startup and no one thought we ever could get people to pay for radio and we did (laughs) um and when, when we built that company it was the same way and then all the radio stations and all the country stuff they were all like you can't go at 23 to move to seattle and be this you can't do it. and so a lot of my pathology in my life had been you can't you can't you can't you can't you can't and what i realized was i was proving something to myself but then what i actually realized that the joy came from actually watching other people see things that they can't see having them believe in the fact that we could do this and believe in the fact that we were going to do this and then seeing that happen was like more fulfilling to me than anything else and so I, I love, I, I like that. I like trying to be the connector, the facilitator. Um, I never think I'm the smartest person in the room. I believe everybody else is smarter. I try to be the one that sort of like brings it together and then allows the alchemy, alchemist, to happen. Um, awesome. And I try to do that with my family.
1: Also a great book.
0: It's a great book too. Colo, not a bad one.
1: Yeah. So then well, how are you trying to use surfing as the medium to fulfill this purpose
0: for myself yeah
1: well or th- are you
0: i am actually um for i think on two different paths i think for for me personally um it is about can i take what i've learned in my professional career and apply that to something extraordinarily foreign you know yep and and it's like what an interesting challenge you know <laughs> it's sort of spirituality surfing country radio chuck the duck xm satellite radio okay i can take all that and can i put this into a surfing modality interesting challenge um, and i think that a, a, a higher altitude challenge for me with The company is trying to see or convey, beyond just the sheer talent that we have of our surfers and all that we do from professional side, that this sport, global sport, that happens around the planet, actually the people who participate in it, the participatory, not just the athletes, but the participants, do it for reasons that sometimes they can't see themselves, but there's something beyond it. Mm. And I think it's a lofty challenge and a goal for me to help people understand that and see that because I look at a sport that took a kid from Oklahoma that couldn't swim to do what I've been able to do. It shifted me. And I'm a really good example of what I think that sport can do. And I see a lot of people who speak in terms that they, can't, they don't have the nomenclature, they don't have the framework, the thinking, the experience, the way to articulate it the way that I can. And the only reason why i can articulate is i spent 10 years next to somebody that taught me how to articulate it so i was able to fuse the two things together and for me i think that that is a an amazing way to sort of connect two really really important worlds passion over on one side and purpose on the other and you know i say oftentimes for me it's like i i feel so blessed to have an opportunity right now and it won't last forever to marry my passion and purpose it's like you know you get profession passion and purpose and you can bring mm-hmm. it all together it's hard it's mm-hmm. really really mm-hmm. hard to do mm-hmm. that and i'm very very lucky to do it mm-hmm. so i try to stay very present with that
1: what um that's there's so much integrity there um that's brave right because it could be probably easy to take shortcuts and just like you know how to totally make something big or make money or yep. or just go surfing right but yep. then to put them together um is a venture mm-hmm. so you want to inspire people to you know be able to believe in something beyond to do more to accomplish more so how how am i how are you going to do that what what am i gonna what what can i take away if i if i watch and where so i'll watch it on abc yeah you'll watch when ultimate surfer there ultimate surfer comes out yep. at the beginning of the year in yep. 2021 yep. and then there's going to be some documentaries documentaries
0: or real like we'll be surfing and we'll be surfing in hawaii you know, at the end of the year, for our, our the tour will come back. Yeah. Then we have our big wave tour to come back. Um, you know, and, and part of it is sequential. You know, so one of the things I learned in content in in the in the own space was a term that I used to always talk about called hide the spinach. Hide the spinach. Hmm.
1: Um, well, the smoothie still turns green, so you got to use a colored yeah, cup.
0: So it, it's true. So make it black, right? Yeah. <laughs> that you know doing doing super soul sunday
1: mm-hmm. your favorite show mm-hmm.
0: has a very narrow audience because it's very s- focused on that a broader audience was watching like the oprah show right right okay. so what oprah was ingenious at doing was having people using a star like yourself to come sit on the show and have a conversation because people wanted to hear about you and your racing mm-hmm. career and mm-hmm. you're the first women to do this and oh my god most successful indycar driver, all that people are like oh danica and then what she'd do is she'd get people to the television and then she'd have a conversation about spirituality and she'd thread it through right okay so that's th- that to me is what i refer to as hiding the spinach and so when we can do things in our broadcast about a program like rising tides about how we get young kids and women and girls to start learning about the surf, or talk stories about indigenous people, or talk about what's happening with very, you know, very huge mm-hmm. issues in our country with social justice, or in Australia with, you know, with the, you know, what's happening in terms of the stolen generation, or South Africa with apartheid, or whatever it may be. That if I have a platform of surfers, I can tell these stories through there. And so, how do we figure out a way to elevate the narrative in a way? that brings it to light while you at the same time are watching kelly slater out of a barrel at JBay bay and take advantage of it so you know it that's a heavy lift it's a hard thing um you have to be very intentional about it but it's it's um you know that's higher that's the higher vibration that i'm trying to
1: i literally i mean like this really resonates with me i don't know if it will with you but you are completely paralleling you going surfing it is entertaining <laughs> lessons mm-hmm. you are creating entertaining lessons mm.
0: <sighs> good job I'm still entertaining lessons.
1: I got a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> Do you need me for anything? <laughs> that's what, no,
0: I'm trying to get you to go to the surf ranch. So. <laughs>
1: okay, we will start there. We we'll start the surf Some range. entertaining lessons, yeah. and then we see where it goes from there.
0: It, I, that's a perfect place for us to start.
1: What a cool venture! I'm so happy for you. And it's—I don't know how you feel, but it's—it's it's, there's there's magic in the passion.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's the fuel for for anyone. I hope, you know, certainly for me, that the passion of what I'm doing. For me makes it that's what drives me because it's hard i mean it there i mean i have awful days like we all do you know and you know i always i'm like okay well why am i doing this you know Mm -hmm. it's certainly through this pandemic i've asked that question (laughs) a lot and that's again it's the self-doubt it's all this it's the struggle we all have and to not be honest about it is not being authentic but it's Mm -hmm. like you know I have bad days just like everybody else and you asked if I cry so yeah there's just days it's like it's just too hard it's just hard
1: that's actually one that one one final thought I want you to unpack because I think this is really um uh, a powerful concept that I have felt like has played into my life but I think it resonates because I've read it from you and that's the word belief Mm -hmm. believing believing like I don't I mean there's it's like simple to just say I believe it's going to happen but can you can you try and explain believing in a way that will help someone know how to
0: for me when I say I believe we're going to do something um, it is a statement of knowing that through the fiber of my body there's not a doubt and and i it's all you know when you get the chicken skin sometimes you know and you get the little aha things and you get the little twitches you know and there are ways that just sort of happen for me it's like when i start talking i'm very aware that oh i just got it it just came to me it was like an angel whisper or things like that that's when i know i'm on the right track and that's when i know that there's something higher that is like keep going keep going so for me when I'm saying I'm believing, I have done the work of of underturning all the rocks.
1: Mm.
0: When when you are so confident and you you believe in your core that that is going to absolutely happen, an amazing thing happens. You know what happens to everybody else around you? They believe you and and then they have confidence. Um, And that comes with a heavy backpack of a burden. It comes with a heavy backpack of like, okay, I feel the weight you know, I've now put that backpack on my back because I'm the one saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you've got the right team of people and you have mm-hmm. the right support, you have the right partners, mm-hmm. then then that belief becomes a power. Mm-hmm. And then so you flip it. So I, I think the way I'd have people try to understand the power of belief is that there is not an ounce of doubt in your mind. And even there is validation, however you choose to see it or feel it or experience it, yep. that reaffirms what that belief is. So that's how I. That's that's why when I when I get on my thing of like this is what we're going
1: to do. What if somebody can't get there? Like if I said, I believe I can dunk a basketball. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. Clearly I don't. I'm five foot one and a half. Like <laughs> yeah. I ain't gonna dunk a basketball ever in my life. But I do actually believe, because I'm a really esoteric thinker, yeah. that if I truly actually believed it to my core, yeah. I actually think I could. Yep. Yeah. But there's no way, because I'm I I believe in reality too yeah. much yeah. as it's presented. Sure. Um, so what happens then if, because it's, people get stuck. They get stuck. So what happens if you can't get there? You well, can't believe what you need to believe to be successful or to achieve what you want, think you want.
0: So let's take your example for a second. So you want to dunk a basketball. But you say you believe you can. I'm
1: going to tell you that you can.
0: And I'm gonna, so what we're going to do is we're actually going to reframe the statement of what you believe in. Huh. You can't dunk a 10 foot rim basketball. But if I put a five foot rim over here, you could dunk it. So do, have you now actually dunked it? Yes. So my, You're a good the, boss. huh? You're a good boss. <laughs> so to me, it's about framing, you know, the sort of question the right way. And if somebody is stuck, you know, the, the energy flow being stuck or the connection being stuck needs to be viewed as a signal that you're just on a wrong road. So mm-hmm. just choose a different road
1: so much easier said than done though
0: it is but that but that is the that's the work that i think Got that it. that people you know if someone were to ask me like you and be like how do you do it it's like okay so you know one of the things we used to always practice a lot was that this term doubt means don't and it's really really hard but in business i do it a lot I'm not very good in my personal life, (laughs) but we
1: cut from the same cloth. Then (laughs) I'm really good at business. I'm good at letting go and doing things in relationships. I'm like, ah, yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Doubt me. I'm really, you know, I got a lot of work. That's the second podcast. There's a lot of work on that one, but part two, part two, uh, but the doubt, but when you get, when you get a doubt or you get that doubt for me, just say doubt means don't. And then when you start talking about things you believe in until you don't have those feelings, then you're like, okay, that I can believe in.
1: So even if, because there's one thing about being a good boss and encouraging people and getting me to dunk a five foot hoop, right? (laughs) I get it. And that's honestly, because it's just a shift in mindset, a perception change, a language change. The universe doesn't know the difference, whether it was five or 10 feet. Um, But all of a sudden there's a shift in energy there.
0: I think there's a, a question attached to that too. So we'll ask the second question and we'll answer that one. So that I think there's a, you know, if you're the boss and you're saying that, and you know, it's not true, you actually have an ego dilemma. It's coming back to your ego thing, right? Full circle. Full circle. Now, now we're to full circle, right? Yeah. <laughs> now you're at your ego and it's sort of like, okay, now how do you want to be viewed in this moment? And so for me, it's like in that moment, what I would say to people is, you know, be humble. Be transparent and be honest. And then, and don't bury the lead. Don't qualify it with a comma. Don't, don't just, you know, put everybody on your Zoom screen and be like, okay, so you know what? No one's dunking a basketball. Let's get honest about it. Let's get very real about that. But here's what I believe we can do. And so, what by doing that, what happens is you actually become, I think, in my opinion, more powerful, owning the mistake, owning the narrative owning your own truth about the matter and speaking that then the people they go okay all right all right so here's what we're going to do i think everybody is so afraid of saying that especially leaders and i would say especially young leaders this was a hard lesson for me as as a young executive was was learning to own that it's like standing in front of a company and say that you made a mistake but the sooner you understand that that actually is a powerful thing for you the more liberating you feel, you become a better leader, mm-hmm. because you know it's like, hey, if I screw it up, I'm just gonna tell you I screwed it up, and we're just gonna keep going. Mm-hmm. It's fine.
1: I am excited. Like I was, I was at this like meditation circle the other night, and you know, it's a bunch of hippies, and I'm like, I can't wait to see the culture and the future of the world when all these little hippie kids grow up. It's gonna, you know, it's gonna and be so this sort of trans transition um, culturally, but sort in the same exact vein. I can't wait to see what happens with business and content and the integrity behind it that someone like you is leading the way with because I think gone are the days. And I think 2020 is dissolving so much of this where, you know, we can sort of uh, have poor intentions and poor uh, ethics and um, not be in our heart space and in our own integrity and our own truth and um, expect to have any kind of support or longevity or belief because I think we're all getting energetically a lot more educated and and inclined and that's why you're going to Blow up surfing, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna probably make the league and oh, for do sure. cool stuff.
0: <laughs> I, I mean, I, I you're
1: you, gonna teach me everything I need to know. That's
0: right. Don't worry, I got you. Listen, I started. I started when I was older than what you are now. So you got a you got a far you got a big future ahead of you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been fun. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Thanks everybody for listening to the pretty intense podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. If you like what you heard today, and you want to hear more, please click on the subscribe button.